Kids are showing up in class. Kids are doing homework and participating in ways they never used to. It's not the dreaded five-paragraph essay. It's, Mom, 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 I read Fahrenheit 451. What? And we designed a video game element. What? So this was amazing. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unbox. As always, super excited about the conversation that we are going to have. And today we are going to be talking with some great friends um, to the Past Foundation um, who are doing incredible work around esports, that fun thing that a lot of adults don't understand, but the kids really, really, really love. And we collectively know we can learn an awful lot through that. So joining us today to talk specifically about the North American Scholastic Esports Federation, or NACEF, is Gerald Solomon and Kevin Brown. So gentlemen, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Thank you. Perfect. So just to give a little bit of context to um, our listeners, um, so Gerald in 2018 designed and launched the North American Scholastic Esports Sports Federation, or NACEF, which is the nation's first ever academic approach to esports. And I love this part because the mission is to provide opportunities for all, all in caps, all students to use esports as a platform to acquire the STEM skills needed for the workforce of tomorrow. That's a pretty big lift, Gerald. What were you thinking? It is a big lift, but you know, I work for a family foundation, as you work for a foundation yourself, uh, Annalise, and I spent a lot of years, almost 15 years, working around STEM education on behalf of the principals. And I really wanted to figure out how do we reach the disenfranchised, the disengaged, the kids who are not the basketball player, the football player, uh, you know, the striker on the soccer team, and give them the same opportunity as everyone else. And I thought, gee, you know, when I did some research and I stumbled on this thing called esports, I go, wow, there are so many kids hanging out here. What a great opportunity to use it as a platform to congregate kids and to have them play and have fun. And at the same time, expose them to the kinds of things that you and I have done for much of our adult life. Yeah, absolutely. But this is then where you're going to need a little bit of help. And so that's where... um, the Kevin Browns of the world come in as a lifelong gamer, right? And um, a licensed CTE instructor, a mentor teacher. Kevin wears many, many hats at NACEF like so many do and is partially a joint position with his work for the Orange County Department of Education and the work that you're doing around being um, or directing, I should say, NACEF's uh, Global Education and Training Program. And there are actually a lot of folks um, at NACEF and I'm hoping that we'll have some follow-up interviews where we get to talk to other folks doing some really innovative pieces. But Kevin, so so why do you why 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 your interest other than lifelong gamer? Why why do you join in on this crazy idea that Gerald has? Lifelong gamer was almost what got me out of it. 
because I was actually the the anti-sponsor to this whole idea. I thought gaming equals thumb monkeys, and I did not originally see the linkage between esports and education. And so, Gerald, I don't know if your listeners, viewers can see the uh, Miku system graphic behind him, but this idea that there was linkage. We all see the player first, and that's exactly where I was thinking, no, this is this is nothing of any kind of value. And then I saw that original graphic and said, ah, I get it. The scales fell off my eyes. And I see that all of this parlays into career tech education, into STEM education, and it's preparation for college, also career readiness. And all in one fell swoop, we can do all that. And as Gerald just said, it interests kids in a level that other things might not. You get buckets of kids who like certain kinds of academic you know, fonts will go down one pathway or another, but this scoops everybody in and there's a place for everybody. And so when I got over my own disbelief, I became, you know, raving fan number one and then took the job and have been doing that for the last five years or so. So it's been gratifying to see this multiply uh, and go out into the wild. Yeah. And, and I, I think at our, least, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, and I think, you know, like you said, you've got to surround yourself with people who are smarter or better than you are. I had an idea and I thought that it really could do something. So, you know, the first hire was Kevin and the Orange County Department of Ed. And then in partnership with the University of California, Irvine, my challenge to Kevin was create a curriculum and create a STEM and STEAM-based curriculum using this infographic. And that infographic actually was created by not only Kevin and myself, but Constance Steinkuller and Mimi Ito and Katie Salen, people who are extremely well-known globally in youth development, youth research, esports, gaming, a whole number of areas. Um, and we said, okay, Kevin, let's try to put that together. And he spent, oh, four or five months um, with UCI and other teachers building the curriculum that ultimately got approved by the president's office in California. And we're still the only entity in the entire world that has a state-approved curriculum, all high school, all middle school, and all CTE track. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that really attracted the entire sort of esports ecosystem and the NACEF work um, to me, right? And it, and it passed was this notion that you took a thing that kids love, right? That's very important to us. And then you said, but wait a minute, there's more to this. We can take that love, that passion, that creativity, that fierceness um, to participate, right? And we can we can literally wrap it in around about above below um, from the academic or the scholastic perspective and use it as a tool to propel kids into any number of things. And, and that was one of the things that really sort of brought me um, to, to esports and the NACEF platform. And I just love the notion that, you know, everybody thinks it's one thing, and reality is you've been able to demonstrate that it's so much more. Um, and, I, and I think one of the very first conversations, Gerald, I remember having with you when, when, you, when I hear you say, and oh, by the way, we're going to do this all through, through English language arts. So we're going we're gonna to use English as the thing to be the driver or the foundational platform. And I was like, oh my God, I got to meet the person <laughs> that came up with this because it's brilliant. <laughs> So, so help our listeners then sort of understand the, I guess the the philosophical component, not the the gaming piece of it, but that that scholastic or the academic sort of premise that you use as a foundational launching point for everything else that NACEF has been built on, and and it doesn't matter to me which one of you wants to jump in on this, and my guess is so, it'll, so, be, it'll be both of you. 
Yeah, well, it'll be both of us will stumble over each other. Um, so let me give you a little overview. And then Kevin's so wonderful in backfilling and correcting me when I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, the, the idea is look at any athletic team, look at gaming, look at esports. Who built the game? You know, who's doing the streaming, shoutcasting, the public relations? Who's doing the marketing? Who's doing the coding of the game to make it happen? Who's creating the event? Uh, in order to bring teams and kids together to do it? Who's doing the data analytics and the statistics to be able to really play the game better? Those are all STEM and STEAM skills. Who's building the logos, the avatars? You know, you can make money at it. There are career trajectories doing that. So how do you build all that out and take the casual gamer, not the one that's competitive, because like any sport, you know, it's one one hundredth of one percent who make it into the quote unquote professional uh, league. But how do you give them an opportunity to have that proverbial light bulb go off? Give them a sense of saying, wow, this is cool. You mean I can do a career in here and I can make a living doing this and have fun. So work isn't drudgery and work. Work is fun. You know, I can make a living. I could do things. I can have social impact. I could do all those things that are really important. Um, and that's kind of the frame. That's what's behind me in the infographic that's there. And that was a challenge to Kevin. And, you know, when you talk about how do you incorporate it into a school, into a classroom, that's where my expertise is. <laughs> and I hand it off to Kevin and I say, Kevin, do your thing. You know, so if you can, Kevin, explain a little bit about how that works and what does a teacher see and do and, and how do they relate to that? Sure. Thank you. First litmus test was, as you said, Annalise, all right, English language arts, bastion of U.S. education, heavily regulated. Every state has got something proceeding from the federal model. So there are things we have to do. So we take ninth grade through uh, 12th grade, so freshman through senior, what we did in California was break it out and say, what's being taught? Let's look at the state standard. Let's look at integrating ISTE standards, next generation science standards, social emotional learning standards, all these things kind of crunched into one little tiny can. And we hit upon freshman English. What do we learn? The narrative. We're introducing kids. How do I build a story? Stories need characters. Characters need motivations. Motivation leads to a plot. Wait a minute. That's game design 101, it which is. is what we did. We linked yeah. English language arts, what you learned at that English language art level, with game design. So we brought in career tech education and said, this is how it works. That game you play, that orc that's swinging the battle axe, he's a protagonist or he's an antagonist. <laughs> what do those words mean? Let's put him into a story. Tekek has a name. Tekek has a storyline. How did he get where he was? Kids began to eat it up. Teachers began to see relevance. And so we built out, took all the state standards, lined them up, built the English class, sprinkled in esports. So it wasn't 100%, mm -hmm, but it was when we talk about story, analyze a game that has these elements in your game, pick out the narrative framework. Now, using that scaffolding, you've got that done the first couple of weeks. Let's take the character you're designing and let's lead him or her through a story. Let's mm -hmm. talk about plot. Let's talk about the whole series. How does it work? We use the, uh, I think, the hero's classic journey. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Frodo Baggins gets a quest, yeah. finds Gandalf, goes on the thing, goes, falls down, picks up, does all that. Kids eating it up. Teachers got really good. They said, hey, there's this thing called Google Cardboard. I can mm -hmm. take a kid's mm -hmm. cell phone. I can make a 3D, like my own little kind of cheesy VR, but I can build a lesson and say, now show me that you understand the English lesson by creating a, a cool game element, which you're going to drop into your phone. Suddenly, we're meshing this cool STEM part into an English class around an esports concept. Heads are blowing up. Teachers can't believe it. Kids are showing up in class. Kids are doing homework and participating in ways they never used to. It's not the dread five paragraph essay it's mom 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 i read fahrenheit 451 what 
and we designed a video game element. What? So this was amazing. So once English got done, like Gerald said, four months to write it, five months to get it to the state to prove it worked. <laughs> but they said yes. That gave us license to try other things, math, science, history, even world language. I'm still looking to do this in Spanish and French, Japanese. So this, all of this can come together and integrate. Yeah. And it is magical when it all comes together and integrates, right? And, you know, we, 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 we've, we've seen it, but just for, for listeners, for context. So one of the ways that PASS got involved with, with what was going on with NACEF is, um, and, and Gerald, please, or Kevin, you know, jump in, correct me if I've got this wrong, but essentially, you know, the scale mechanism, how do you take what that amazing thing that, that Kevin's talking about happened in California and make it accessible um, all over the United States and the rest of the world, right? Because we want to conquer the entire world as any great video game <laughs> endeavor should be. We're going to be world domination here in that sense. Um, you know, and one of the ways to do that is to create or set up these state-based affiliates um, that understand it, that believe it, that that take an active role in participating in um, not just scaling it, but but adding to it, right, if you will. And so Pass Foundation in Ohio, um, along with um, another Ohio um, East o Esports Ohio um, affiliate partnered together to be the, the official affiliate um, with NACEF. And by doing that, then we were able to tap, tap into, um, you know, our partner's understanding of esports in Ohio, because that was not the past foundation, right? And we were able to lend to them our understanding of how you get stuff into schools, right? That's not traditional. And to partner that together. And one of the very first things that we did after, you know, crafting and spending, spending a day hanging out with Kevin, um, mm -hmm. you know, getting a partnership agreement all together was really saying, okay, now let's take what's been done and let's crosswalk it to our own state and then see if we right. can deploy it that way. And that was really sort of the way you look to scale in many, many places by doing mm -hmm. something similar to that. So right. Gerald, talk with us just a little bit about why you feel like that mechanism or that model is the way to go in terms of how you take a concept that quite frankly can be fairly controversial for those adults, back to Kevin's point, who didn't understand sure. that this is anything other than playing a game and turning it into something that's a powerful educational tool. Well, you know, when you think about scale and you think about structure, there are two ways to do it. You either have to have mega dollars and it's completely centralized, or you use a federal, you know, a federated decentralized model like YMCA's, Boys and Girls Clubs, and a number of other successful organizations. And you empower them to be able to localize what it is that you have built in a way that makes sense to their community. Because every community is different, every state's different, every region's different, every country is different. They have different standards, they have different ways of doing things, and they know their local community best. So what you try to do is identify partners like the PASS Foundation to be able to lead that because they see, you see, what the nexus is. Because all you have to do is look at things like makerspaces, tinkering, robotics, science fairs. These are all immersive, experiential, hands-on activities. And we know that that's the best way kids learn. So we've digitized it. We've taken it into the virtual world. And when we can identify someone locally who's a lever of change within their community and has relationships, then you can go ahead and do exactly what you said and crosswalk and map it into localized and state standards. So entities like yourself. Um, another one, for example, is our 
uh, affiliate leader in New Mexico is the Albuquerque public school system. In California, we have the public school systems in San Bernardino, in Riverside, in Butte County, in San Diego, et cetera. Um, and then we have teachers mainly when it comes time to kind of these nonprofit or smaller affiliates um, who have the passion and they want to make a difference. They understand the progressive nature of it. They understand how it attracts students uh, into this kind of common area of familiarity and comfort where they feel safe and secure. And when you can create those environments, students can then learn. And it needs someone at the helm. And that's why an entity like yours at the Pass Foundation becomes so important. You not only understand the education piece, but you also understand the socialization piece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that at the end of the day, that was one of the key components for us I, that I would argue, you know, that combination that we pulled together and, and, and similar in other states as well, I know, um, you know, in Ohio, where we, we took an entity that knows and fully understands and is completely enmeshed in the esports opportunity for kids, for students, affiliated in after schools, clubs, and programs, and said, hey, what happens when we pair that up with an organization that understands the more formalized structure of school, right, to be able to move something from just an after school experience? And not that there's a thing wrong with that, because we advocate for that quite heavily, obviously. But how can we take and actually incorporate those elements and turn it into a mainstream opportunity for students to actually earn their education. And I think that that's a really different thing. But but Kevin, I'm super curious with your work coming out of the schools. And I assume that this was one of the, the things that um, Gerald was alluding to, you know, when I need to go out and find somebody that understands schools, that is not an easy conversation, right? Because oftentimes administrators, and you and I've had this conversation frequently, it's like, mm -hmm. okay, we, we want to get that school district right over there on board because their kids would benefit greatly from it. They would love it. But how do I convince the administrators of school boards the parents, right. that this is not frivolous. It's a so tough conversation. It is. I, I want to change my name from Kevin to Kevlar because I do. <laughs> I catch a lot of flack. I'll tell the short story that I went to a local district, someplace where I grew up and where I actually was a teacher of record in that district. And now I'm wearing the new hat of NACEF and saying, your kids are telling me they want to do esports. I was told to come into their school board and present to them. And as I'm walking up to the podium to make my presentation, one of the board members stands up and points the finger at me, just like I'm doing, you, sir, are equivalent to a heroin pusher. You are bringing digital addiction into our midst. How dare you? I'm very dramatic. And I'm standing here with, you know, with an arrow in my chest thinking, <laughs> okay, how are you going to get out of this? And it was another board member who stood up and said, wait, 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 this is not a Kevin thing. This is not a NASEF thing. That starts with being a parental thing. You need better control at home. If you think your kids are addicted, what are you doing as a parent? And that gave me the insight. Okay, now this is how we're going to come at this. And we built this elementally into the NACEF program. When we bring a new club on board, it takes about four minutes to activate online. But then you get into a cycle where I personally have, and now we're going to put it up on our new website, we're going to go through a video series of how do you start a club. And there are eight steps to do it. Step number three is the parent information model. This works for administrators too. We front load with a lot of that research we paid for. We get all of that that comes back five years a study with University of uh, California, Irvine, and we show the good that esports has done, not in how to get better at a game, not that your you know, KDIs are better, but what's happening is kids better visual, uh, visual hand coordination, better problem solving, applicability of what they've learned in their math and science and English classes into what they can do 
actually in the real world. So when I start to show parents the parody, what's going on here, learned, applied, how this leads to college potential, how this leads to career potential, how there are colleges that are giving scholarships, north of $16 million this year in scholarships for kids who can play and learn whatever they want, suddenly they're more receptive. Administrators, and if I may add to that, please, if I may add in. to that, Kevin, yeah. what we're referring to here is not esports as a genre or a game to play. It's NASIF's approach. It's the scholastic approach. It's how do you wrap learning and curriculum that meets state standards into the experience? And you know what Kevin alluded to is the concept of a club, and it's this big tent. It's not just you know the five people on the basketball court. It's all of the people who love basketball. So you have the players who play the game, but you know you might have someone who does things casually, which are most kids, but they're into graphic design and art and they're really creative or they're really analytical and they like to do structure and event management and planning or they're tech folks and they like to build networks or computers or do coding. There's a space and place for all of them. And what we've devised is the ability of this big tent where when you join the club, the NACEF club, you don't have to be the player. You could be the support person, the cheerleader. You could do the shoutcasting, the streaming, the event management, as I alluded to earlier in that infographic behind me. Um, and when parents see all of these other opportunities that we're teaching them and that we have approved curriculum and pathways for them to learn their skills, and as Kevin said, colleges want that because they want people who can be critical thinkers, who can work in teams, who can be leaders, who can do analytics, who can be problem solvers. When they see that those are skills that are acquired by using our curriculum through this mechanism of enjoyment and play, the parents tend to say, wow, I didn't realize that's what my child is doing. And with your guidance, we can actually impart those skills to them to get into the college or get the credential to work at Microsoft or at Intel or wherever it may be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is really um, quite magical, honestly, to watch that particular light bulb, Gerald, go off for those who don't believe. And, you know, at, at past we've had numerous, numerous examples of this, you know, a variety of different programs over the years. And this this year, we took the the esports program that we were doing based on NACEF. We run a summer program, as you well know. And it was really fun because this year we added an element that, quite frankly, we as an organization hadn't been brave enough to try before. Right? We'd, we'd done lots of things um, with you and with, with our partner um, here in Ohio. But one of the things that we had never done is we had never... I'm gonna I'm gonna get this completely wrong. I'm looking at Kevin, you know, get my gaming lingo on. He gives me grief it. about it all the time, right? You know, the whole shout casting thingy that happens. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Shout casting. Okay, woohoo. Well, you know, I, I can learn too, right? <laughs> but we had never actually taken the program and and on a on a micro scale that you would do in a in a STEM, you know, summer camp sort of experience and actually let the kids go all the way through not just the program and the, the game development design, but literally going on and putting on an event with it as well and do it all in five days, right? Um, and so we did that with our upper elementary and our middle school kiddos. And and I will never forget, we put the parents in a completely different part of the building. 
and we let and we put the the game up on, on the screens and we literally let the kids run the game and call the game and all the different components of it and just the Very screams cool. and the cheers that you could hear from the families they they out cheered the kids <laughs> and it was in that moment and then and then the Russia parents you know is there a part two to this can my kid right. come back um, you know, those types of things. And when that happens, that's that magical space where I think that suddenly people realize that that so many things that our kids are interested in could somehow be an opportunity to teach our kids other things. There you go. That's it. This is the point that flips the administrators. That's the other part of the equation you asked earlier. So getting to parents and letting them see this huge effect on how that passion channels into what else have you got? Can I do it again? Administrators are interested, first of all, not taking flack from parents that because they're usually elected mm -hmm. officials and do not want parents in their office saying, my kids are video gaming. What are you thinking? It's can we show them this hungry model? Administrators also want that state money for their public or private schools. And what's an attractor, what changes the argument is I have a magnet now, a true magnet for my school. I have an esports program and I have this tie to STEM and other learning. I can use this in altered ed. We use it in incarcerated youth programs because it keeps kids task focused. But the candy is and you can play when you get the stuff done. So there's accountability. Administrators like all those buzzwords. And then this also keeps people from going out of their district and leaving. It keeps teachers relevant and interested because teachers mm -hmm. run these programs. They're the adult moderators, our general managers. It makes them cool and relevant and they want to do this. I was just on a call earlier today with somebody in North Carolina, South Carolina, same thing. They're all called, they're Ms. Reamer, they're Reamer kids because Ms. Reamer's got it going on. That's what they want. That's why you want to come to that school. So this is exactly what sells it. One of the things that we did was we had a set of hypotheses when we started could we increase attendance? Could we increase school affiliation? Could we increase uh, grasp of Common Core, NGSS, ISD, et cetera, standards? Um, could we provide pathway opportunities for students and individuals to think about uh, college, not if they're going to go, but where are they going to go? Um, and the research clearly demonstrated from the University of California, as Kevin said, I mean, we gave a significant, when I was with the foundation, we gave seven figures and dollars to UC to do some research. And the data speaks for itself. And the study was IRB approved, which is even more relevant because it shows the arm's length review, evaluation, and research that occurred. And when you could sit with administrators, and parents understand that as well, that here's independent research, that when you wrap it around learning, then that connection of play and learning can really be impactful. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really powerful for kids. So let's talk about that just a little bit more, Gerald, because I want to I want to talk about the scale piece of this, right? I, you know, again, our listeners come to us from all over the world, not just the United States. And it's clearly working in the US and the effort is is paying off. But how does that then translate into other countries, into other cultures, into other time zones? Into I mean, how do you what's the big play here, Gerald? So let me give you a, I'll, I'll kind of bore you with a little bit of a narrative here. Um, COVID came about, and as difficult and challenging as COVID was, it really was uh, a huge launch pad for us. We were contacted by the public school system in the U.S. State Department in Mexico City, and they said, we heard about you. We have less than 10% of our kids who are connecting to education during COVID. We need help. How do we reach them? 
So we went ahead and with Kevin's you know, oversight and, and others, um, we created a competition in Minecraft where students had to build the COVID-19 virus. They had to build the COVID home they wanted to live in. They had to build the COVID hospital they would want to be treated in. They had to do coding in Minecraft. They had to work in teams. They had to learn English. They had to do a whole lot of different things in order to make it happen. In less than about 40 days, we had 3,000 students in Mexico public school system who participated. The State Department said to us, wow, this is pretty cool. It really makes our American space relevant during COVID. It really shows the partnership between America, American values, to a local international community. So we started to have a conversation. Long story short, I'll bring it up to our most current uh, activity. We built a world in Minecraft called Farmcraft. And we taught students about agriculture, about climate change, about biotechnology, bioengineering, a whole number of different things. Students had to go in, buy seeds, they had a plant, they had a harvest, they had to deal with environmental issues, they had to bring it out to market, they had to do all of those things. This past year, it ended the competition in June of this year, in the middle of June, we had students from over 2,000 schools in 68 countries. And part of what makes us successful is not just the content, but we are truly believers in diversity, equity, access, and inclusion. We do not charge a student or a school for our curriculum and our training. We rely on, we're a nonprofit, we're a global nonprofit. We rely on corporate sponsorships. We rely on grant dollars. We rely on uh, philanthropy, et cetera, because we are firm believers that no one should be denied access to grow and thrive because of whatever their circumstances are. And when countries around the world get to see that their kids are talking to people in Egypt and Israel and South Africa and Argentina and Honduras and Malaysia, and they're getting to learn about their cultures, their people, who they are, what they do, and they get to cheer for each other, they build this community and this kind of community of learning around the world, it really has its own uh, inertia and its own kind of force and that is really what's built it to the point to where we now, thankfully to a international organization called IESF, which is the largest global esports organization, they have chosen us as being the curriculum of choice um, to spread to ministers of education for all of their 128 member countries. So some of us are going to Busan, Korea, in a few weeks, I'll be going with one of our staff people. Kevin and I are going to Bali in December to educate educators around the world on how to use our platform in the eight steps Kevin has developed to be able to educate educators, parents, administrators, and attract students. So it, it you know, some of it's serendipitous. Uh, it just happened. Uh, and others is just, you know, a process and a thought that, hey, this is, you know, kind of the, um, the Trojan horse. This is really a great opportunity to bring all of these disparate components together that really can have social impact. And that's our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is social impact and social justice. And it's a great equalizer because of that, right? Um, absolutely. So Kevin, um, what 
as we sort of think about wrapping up the conversation, what's what's next, right? You know, as, as you're thinking about your work, diving in, working with, with specifically with schools, with districts, with all these different clubs in these different countries, what do you see as the sort of next horizon sort of space? Question. Uh, Gerald and I, we debate this every week at our leadership meetings. And I think the next big step for NASAF, we're in the process launching a brand new website, getting it ready to go, making a lot of what we do, as Gerald says, self-service. We want people, once you activate a club, come on board. There's a lot that we give. There's a lot that we offer, but then there takes a certain amount of education of the end user to then figure out, okay, how will you use this locally? I speak a bunch of languages. I do almost all of our international training, but then I can't be everywhere in every time zone all the time. We have affiliates. What do we have, Gerald? 26, I think, international affiliates that we're working with, different countries that have taken this on. It's up to them now to help kind of wrap around the world satellite-like and become that community, that esports community of practice where we can lift this up. And then maybe NASEF steps back a little bit and says, like we do in STEM communities. Okay, STEM is a concept. We help push the concept, but then what are you doing amongst each other? And maybe we facilitate twice a year. We do conferences, we do gatherings, whether virtual or real time, but to help keep it moving so it doesn't become stagnant, but to look at the the wonderful diversity that comes up because the way Japan is going to go at this is going to be different than the way that Honduras goes at it. But still, there are these unifying things that every NASEF club, every NASEF club has a charter, the reason we exist. Every NASEF club club has a top 10 of rules and code of conduct. So we know how to behave with each other. So it's not like just any other random group you meet online. There's a way about a NASEF kid. There's a there's a style and a feel. So watching that levitate up to the, the global level, I think, is our next big push once we get there, and then helping to facilitate that ongoing discussion. Well, I Gerald, think the, the, we've established it. another piece that I think is really relevant here is, is part of the scale, Annalise, We've created something that I did when I was building, if you recall, all the STEM ecosystems around the country. And we built 96 communities around the country when I was with the Samueli Foundation, is how do you build leadership? So I created, if you may recall, something called Lead STEM. So I took this concept of Lead STEM and I said, let's do that in esports and STEM in esports. And we created the Scholastic Fellows Program. We're now in our fourth year. We have, it's a year-long program. Educators and teachers, it's kind of like TOSAs. They give up part of their time uh, for an entire year to learn deeply about who we are, what we do, our curriculum, our ways of operation, everything we do. So we've trained now about 80 teachers and educators from now, I think, something like 16 countries around the world. And now they are empowered to be the trainer of trainers. You know, the people who are out in the country who can rally the community, take what Kevin has built curriculum-wise, and now be able to be the Kevin in their community in order to be able to make that happen. And the idea of being able to move from a purely physical world into a digital world, which we've done, but now combine the two into the term that you've heard every once in a while called the digital world, the physical and digital world. Because students today, they make no distinction. Right. To you right. and I, or at least yeah. to, to me, there's a physical world and a digital world. But to kids today who grow up as digital natives, there is no distinction between the physical and digital world. So how do you talk to them in a way that makes sense to them, meet them where they are, and give them something that makes you know sense and value to them? And that's fortunately what we've been able to create. Yeah. 
And it's and it's magical. Back to back to that, right? You know, to see the kids, you know, be part of it, to embrace it, and it does. Um, esports is for everyone. That's the other thing that I love about it. There, there is no one that that has to be, could, should, or would be excluded um, because there is a place for every kind of kid, every every manner of participant um, within um, the structure and the ecosystem. So uh, I love love that aspect of it. Um, Gerald and Kevin, thank you so much for taking time out of your day uh, to have this conversation with us and. Um, we will be providing um, on the program um, a list of resources, including um, you know how do you how do you get in touch and how do you get your your own program started. And we encourage all of our listeners to please do so because this this is one of those great gems out there. And and everybody that's working with kids or trying to make a difference in the world really needs to take a look at this opportunity. I would to do I that. would be remiss if I didn't say go to www.nasef.org. And there's a join NASIF button in the top right corner. It's very easy. It's filled with the research curriculum, everything that you need. And then just ask. And we're here to help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking time You're today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure, pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.